Welcome to Based Liberty. I'm your host, Darren Wisely. I'm not politically correct, and I'm not afraid of the consequences for the things I say. I'm simply here to speak the truth as I see it from where I'm standing and let the chips fall where they may. Welcome to Based Liberty, fellow thought criminal. What's going on, thought criminals? Welcome to Base Liberty, episode 76. Darren Wisely here, and as always, just a pleasure to be with you today. We got a good one for you. It just feels to me like regular, hardworking Americans, honest people, are being targeted on every single level. First, they're locked in their homes, many are put out of work, their businesses closed for good. And then you have the capital insurrection. Basically, in the aftermath of that, everyone who isn't a registered Democrat is now a domestic terrorist. Of course, this vax being pushed, and I talked all about that last episode, how just disturbing the entire picture is there. But of course, no one bothers to mention what's really going on, how dangerous and unproven this bioweapon is. And more and more people are going to be forced into it, whether through school, through work, uh, like IU, which I've written about. They're now offering rewards for people to get the vaccine. So in Washington, you know, they're giving out joints. IU, you can get a prize. You get entered even to win a full year of tuition. Talk about an incentive. Really crazy the lengths they're going to to get everyone on board with this and the coercion involved. And if you think the courts are going to protect you, (laughs) keep dreaming. Check out uh, the case Buck v. Bell where the Supreme Court upheld forced sterilization. You think they're going to protect you against an employer or a school trying to force you to get this vax? Think again. You cannot trust any of these people because they're there to keep the powers that be in play. They're there to keep this structure in intact. Even the few people who might actually have somewhat of a conscience, there's so much pressure on them not to come out with the truth, not to do what's right. Whether they're a doctor, a judge, etc. They can lose their license for not following along. So what do you think they're going to do? Yeah, that's the problem with this licensing structure. Just like... Uh, when they're yanked from these restaurants who weren't following the stupid-ass COVID guidelines. It's all about control. Just another mechanism of control. But I am thankful for you guys, my fellow thought criminals here, who just want the truth and truly do desire freedom. You definitely keep me sane in these just Orwellian times or Brave New World or uh, Kafka, whatever you want to call it. But especially those of you who support the show, it really means a lot. I take a lot of flack for what I say, obviously the time and effort involved to putting all this out here, so just having some support really does mean a lot. Oh yeah, now I've been banned from YouTube, so don't bother looking (laughs) for my show there. I just got an email saying I was perma-banned and my my channel no longer uh, is there, just vanished, erased down the Orwellian memory hole. But that's what happens when you don't walk in lockstep with this COVID narrative in this regime. And again, it just begs the question, why is it so important that no one can speak out against the COVID liturgy? 
So thanks for you guys who do support the show. If you like what I do, you want to help keep us going, you can join the Thought Criminal community. Just two bucks a month. Ultimately, it's going to help us reach more people with the message, with the truth they're not hearing. And it should be obvious now how the mainstream media is complete propaganda that's stifling any truth about what's going on, whether it's COVID or other things, which I'm going to talk about here. Just go on over to basedliberty.com, name of the show, to sign up. You can join the Thought Criminal community. Help us fight back this mounting tyranny. We need to get more people on our side before it's too late, and getting the message out there is one way to do that. So, speaking of propaganda, lies, and deception, today I'm going to talk about the new revelation regarding the insurrection. And all along I knew the media narrative they were pushing didn't make any sense. Just basic logic should be able to help you put together. And I've done several episodes on that, so I'm not going to rehash all of that. I think it is really funny, though, how many of the establishment Republicans were had to get out there and grandstand and condemn the violence and totally kind of distance themselves because they wanted to be respectable. But it's just laughable, as if the narrative they pushed had any validity to it at all. It just shows how people like that are either utterly clueless and stupid, or they're in on it. And that's what they're trying to push. I mean, really, those are the only two options. But now, and I'm sure you've heard it, you know, the FBI was in on this thing all along, which in retrospect, it does make a a ton of sense considering all the efforts they're trying to prosecute these so-called domestic terrorists. Uh, But more on that later. So Revolver News broke the story. The guy went on Tucker. It was really a great segment. I encourage you to check it out. I'm sure most of you have it because... It really is just very revealing, but it is great something like this got uh, mainstream attention. But I wanted to touch on a few highlights from the revelation involved and also give a few comments, and I have some stuff to add on to that. So here's the article from the fine folks at Revolver News. It's from June 14, 2021. Unindicted co-conspirators in 1-6 cases raised disturbing questions of federal foreknowledge. And I like how they start this off with, Amy Klobuchar, uh, questioning the Trump-appointed FBI director. Check this out. Oh, here he is, the Honorable Christopher A. Ray. Yeah, he's sure honorable, all right. <laughs> the title, they give him the Honorable. I mean, just, just what a complete joke. And they show up, we now know in this complaint, with encrypted two-way Chinese radios and military gear um, that... Um, you must, there must be moments where you think if we would have known, uh, if we could have uh, infiltrated this group or found out what they were doing. And that, do you, do you have those moments? Absolutely. I will tell you, Senator, uh, and this is, this is something I feel passionately about, uh, that anytime there's an attack, our standard at the FBI is we aim to bat a thousand, mm-hmm. right? And we aim to thwart every attack that, that's out there. So anytime there's an attack, especially one that's this horrific, that strikes right at the heart of our system of government, right at the time the transfer of power is being discussed, you can be darn tootin' <laughs> that we are focused very, very hard on how can we get better sources, better information, better analysis, so that we can make sure that something like what happened on January 6th never happens again. Okay. So you can see how uncomfortable he's getting here. and. 
she's not really pushing him too hard either, but it, it really gives you a sense of something's going on. So Revolver News totally has blown apart that whole narrative. We at Revolver News have noticed a pattern from our now months-long investigation into 1-6, and in particular from our meticulous study of the charging documents related to those indicted. In many cases, the unindicted co-conspirators appear to be much more aggressive and egregious participants in the very so-called conspiracy serving as the basis for charging those indicted. The question immediately arises as to why this is the case and forces us to consider whether certain individuals are being protected from indictment because they were involved in 1-6 as undercover operatives or confidential informants for a federal agency. Here it is useful to draw a distinction between two discrete categories of participants in the so-called capital siege. The first category is a group of mostly harmless tourists who walked through already opened doors and already removed barricades, and at most were guilty of minor trespassing charges and light property offenses. The second group consists of those who were violent, violent with police officers, broke down barricades, smashed windows, belonged to a militia group, engaged in military-style planning prior to the event, discussed transporting hev heavy weaponry, and so forth. Up until now, the overwhelming, perhaps exclusive, share of counter-establishment reporting on 1-6 has focused on absolving the first group, and this is a valuable thing. The notion that these harmless magamoms wandering around the capital were domestic terrorists engaged in an insurrection is absurd. That many of these people are being held in prison without bail under harsh conditions amounts to an unacceptable and outrageous abuse of basic human rights. However, the possibility that the federal government had undercover operatives or informants involved in the events of 1-6, from its planning to its execution, compels us to turn our attention to the second category of participants. We are especially interested in the unindicted co-conspirators who belong to many of the big three militia groups, the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, and the Three Percenters. Indeed, it is these militia groups whose behavior statements and plan leading up to and during 1-6 most closely align with violent insurrectionist caricature we hear about in the media, and which the government claims to be going after in its aggressive prosecution. It turns out that the extraordinary percentage of the members of these groups involved in planning and executing the capital siege were federal informants or undercover operatives. The implications would be nothing short of staggering. This would be far worse than the already bad situation of the government knowing about the possibility of violence and doing nothing. Instead, this would imply that elements of the federal government were active instigators in the most egregious and spectacular aspects of 1-6, amounting to a monumental entrapment scheme used as a pretext to imprison otherwise harmless protesters at the Capitol, and in a much larger sense used to frame the entire MAGA movement as potential domestic terrorists. This is what's at stake in getting to the bottom of 1-6. And so we proceed, unafraid, to investigate the question on which everything else pertaining to 1-6 hinges. Do the government have informants or undercover agents in all these big three militia groups leading up to 1-6? How many of the key unindicted co-conspirators in DOJ prosecutions are unindicted because they are undercover operatives or confidential informants? In short, what did the federal government know in advance about 1-6, and when did they know it? And how far did any undercover operations go? So next this goes into the Whitmer kidnapping plot. And a lot of times I forget about it because the, the thing was just so ridiculous. And the timing even, I mean, it happened right after the court in Michigan ruled against her. Obviously, some kind of false flag, FBI involvement. 
So, so they're talking about how that was FBI entrapment and a lot of similarities with January 6th. And I do want to do an episode on that. I need to get some more information, get it out to you guys. I think that'd be an interesting one for sure. But it continues. And so we see strange parallels between the so-called Michigan plot and the so-called 1-6 Capitol siege. In Michigan, you had an alleged plot involving the storming of a state capitol, allegedly involving members of one of the very same key militia groups associated with the 1-6 plot. And we're supposed to believe that despite massive and now publicly confirmed FBI and government infiltration of the Michigan plot, there was no similar infiltration for 1-6? Such a position appears still less plausible when we consider a final suspicious connection between the Michigan plot and 1-6. The head of the FBI field office in Detroit, Stephen D'Antonio, who oversaw the infiltration and incitement operation into the Michigan plot, was quickly and quietly promoted to lead the coveted Washington, D.C. field office. He's now the assistant director in charge. If you've been following along so far, you can probably take a guess as to what Stephen D'Antonio is up to now, coveted up to in his new coveted perch. That's right, he's one of the key figures overseeing the investigation into the 1-6 Capitol siege. What a coincidence! I mean, they don't even hide this stuff. Let's recap what we've established. Just months prior to the U.S. Capitol siege on 1-6, the FBI thwarted a similar plot involving a siege at the Michigan State Capitol, whose plotters belonged to one of the three main militia groups associated with 1-6. The FBI was able to thwart this on the basis of an astonishing infiltration rate of said groups involving undercover operatives and informants who had been working in such capacity, just in one tiny Michigan network, for more than seven months. They were so well infiltrated that they already had three informants embedded in this random 3%er network before any plot was even hatched. Furthermore, just days before the plot was foiled, FBI Director Christopher Wray quietly promoted the FBI special agent in charge of the Michigan plot operation to a coveted D.C. field post, where he now oversees the investigation into 1-6. The special agent in charge, by the way, is who establishes, extends, renews, and supervises all FBI undercover operations. The above parallels between the Michigan plot and the 1-6 do not necessarily mean the FBI had undercover informants and operatives who were involved in 1-6, but it sure as heck reinforces our intuition that it's a distinct possibility, and it forces us to ask the question once again. The government foiled the Michigan plot, why didn't they step in to stop the so-called siege on 1-6? Hmm. It is now imperative for anyone who cares about the truth to demand that Christopher Wray answer that question. To what extent did the FBI or any other government agency infiltrate the key militia groups associated with the U.S. Capitol siege? And more pressing still, a question in which we now turn our attention. How many of the unindicted co-conspirators in 1-6 prosecutions are unindicted on an account of a prior agreement with the federal government as an undercover operative or informant? So I think that whole thing makes it very clear the FBI is heavily involved in this because you have all of these unindicted people. Well, there's a reason for that. So we'll continue. Revolver News investigative team noticed from the very beginning a highly unusual and hard-to-explain feature of the conspiracy indictments filed against the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys. Revolver took special notice of not only the unusual volume of unindicted co-conspirators, but a still more unusual feature that the statements and actions of the unindicted co-conspirators in many cases seem far more egregious and aggressive 
than those of the persons actually indicted. It is essential here to make an important note of clarification. The purpose of this analysis here is not to aid in the prosecution of any of the unindicted co-conspirators. Rather, our aim is to point out that, given the standard of indictments applied to those actually indicted, it is very strange and indeed suspicious that certain unindicted co-conspirators have managed to avoid indictment. This does not necessarily mean that we approve of the standard of indictment itself. Quite the contrary. The aggressive standard of indictment and prosecution through an unimaginably broad application of conspiracy charges is immoral, unjust, and absurd. We hope that one consequence of the seismic expose will be a serious and prompt reform of the justice system to prevent such aggressive and politically motivated prosecutions on the part of the government. Well, good luck with that. You have to massively defund and decentralize it, but carrying on. Broadly speaking, there are three primary reasons to see an unindicted co-conspirator in a criminal complaint, grants of immunity, pragmatic considerations, and evidentiary concerns. Grants of immunity are traditionally only issued as a result of a plea deal reached between a defendant and prosecutor, specifically in exchange to testify against a big fish. In the conspiracy, a little fish may remain an unindicted co-conspirator and never be charged. But there are two reasons this possibility is far less likely in the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys indictments. First, the timing doesn't add up. The first indictment in the Oath Keepers case, already containing multiple key unindicted co-conspirators, was filed on January 27th, just a couple weeks after. The first superseding indictment was filed on February 19th. The second superseding indictment was filed on March 12th. The third on the 31st, but the first plea deal in the Oath Keepers case was not struck until April 16th. This means that none of the unindicted co-conspirators in the first three months of filings could have gotten a grant of immunity. And even then, only one guy so far has copped a plea. Informal plea negotiations among the broader group didn't even start until last week. So that'd be second week of June. There are what appears to be upwards of 20 unindicted co-conspirators in the Oath Keepers indictments, all playing various roles in the conspiracy, who have not been charged for virtually the exact same activities, and in some cases much, much more severe activities, as those named alongside them in the indictments. The timeline and fact patterns suggest, therefore, that the only unindicted co-conspirator who could be unindicted as a result of the grant of immunity would have to be the single person from the fourth superseding indictment onward, which was filed on May 26th. The other reasons to typically see unindicted co-conspirators, pragmatic concerns, and evidentiary concerns seem far less likely in this case as well. The DOJ kicked off what has become one of the largest and most aggressive prosecutorial dragnets in American history by announcing a campaign of shock and awe. No one gets off the hook. No one gets leniency. And everyone playing a bit part gets maximum time because this is about sending a message. And here's a part of what then-acting U.S. Attorney for the District of Columbia, Michael Sherwin, described the merciless shock and awe prosecutorial campaign. I wanted to ensure, and our office wanted to ensure, that there was shock and awe that we could charge as many people as possible before January 20th. And it worked because we saw through media posts that people were afraid to come back to D.C. because they were like, if we go there, we're going to get charged. We saw shock and on action in the DOJ's terrifyingly twisted conspiracy charge against George Tanios discussed at length in a previous Revolver report.
George Tanios and his companion Julian Cant Julian Cater have been charged with nine criminal counts for actions taken on 1-6 just outside the steps of the U.S. Capitol building. The most serious charge was assault on an officer with a dangerous weapon. Arising from Cantor's alleged use of Tanios' chemical spray to tag Officer Sicknick and two other officers in the face. There, Tanios did not go into the Capitol, did not use any bear spray himself, had bear spray in his backpack, and when his buddy Cantor reached in to take it out, Tanios actively tried to stop him. And in the end, it turns out, as prosecutors now acknowledge, his buddy never even used the bear spray. And still, and still, the DOJ has slapped this 39-year-old sandwich shop owner, George Tanios, with 60 years, six zero years, worth of stacking conspiracy charges because he said, hold on, hold on, not yet, not yet. And we proceed to consider the following unindicted co-conspirators. Keep in mind this George Tanios shock and awe standard of prosecution. So this is where you really start seeing what's going on. The first suspiciously unindicted co-conspirators we will call person two and person three, who are unindicted co-conspirators in the indictment against oath keeper Thomas Caldwell and the 15 named co-defendants. For those unfamiliar, Thomas Caldwell is a 65-year-old from Virginia and an alleged member of the Oath Keepers, which the DOJ refers to as a paramilitary or militia group. The Caldwell case served as one of the first major indictments following the January 6th incident. A careful read of the indictment against Caldwell reveals that a certain person, too, was a key co-conspirator alongside Caldwell in nearly every dimension relevant to the charges in question. Person 2 planned logistics with Caldwell days in advance of 1-6, stayed in the same hotel room for days together, and when Caldwell allegedly stormed the barricades into restricted areas outside the U.S. Capitol, Person 2 is alleged to have stormed the barricades right beside him. But five months since the acts both co-conspirators allegedly committed, only Caldwell has been charged. Person 2, for some mysterious reason, remains an unindicted co-conspirator. Person 2 is with Caldwell side by side, doing the same actions, going in the same restricted areas of the Capitol, coming out every step of the way from the beginning of the day until they return to a hotel they shared together. And even more suspicious than Person 2, described above is Person 3, who is yet another unindicted co-conspirator in the Caldwell indictment. Note that in the Michigan plot described... Note that in the Michigan plot, both the main van driver and explosive supplier were undercover FBI operatives. Here, the Oath Keeper's main bus driver and supposed explosive supplier remains an unindicted co-conspirator. That person is simply listed as Person 3 in the complaints. In arguing defendant Caldwell should be denied bail, the DOJ cites Caldwell's leadership role in planning the events of January 6, as including finding lodging for Person 3. They even explicitly refer to Person 3 as a third co-conspirator. Why is this third co-conspirator still unindicted? In the Michigan plot, an undercover FBI operative was the recipient of a hand of hand-drawn maps from the plotters doing reconnaissance missions. Here in 1-6, it is once again the mysteriously unindicted co-conspirator person 3 who receives hand-drawn maps. Further in the Michigan plot, defense counsel alleges it was an undercover FBI operative who actually organized and paid for the hotel rooms during the key planning meeting on June 6, 2020. 
Here are mysteriously unindicted Person 3 reserved and paid for various Oath Keeper hotel rooms. From the indictment, Person 3 was tasked with stashing the heavy weapons at the QRF hotel and standing by the QRF operator in case he was summoned to take the weapons directly to protesters at the scene. The same pattern applies to the booking of most Oath Keeper hotel rooms. Indeed, the curious lack of indictments filed against the entire gamut of persons referenced as playing leadership roles within the Oath Keepers on 1-6 raises red flags. This includes Person 2, Person 3, Person 10, 14, 15, 16, 19, and 20, along with many co-conspirators listed only as an individual. For example, while transgender bar owner and Ohio Oath Keeper Jessica Watkins is inside the mezzanine of the U.S. Capitol, she is being directed, encouraged, and egged on by an individual whose identity the DOJ clearly knows since the DOJ stipulates the individual had participated in at least one prior oath. So I think you're getting the point here that it's pretty clear there's a lot of uh, FBI, DOJ involvement in this, quote, insurrection. And let's get to the end. There's some more interesting kind of tidbits for you. In a possible preview of what might come for some of the unindicted co-conspirators in 1-6, the FBI DOJ burned Robeson, their own secret informant. Well, that's why you don't trust the FBI. By hitting the man, they paid to infiltrate Patriot groups with a 10-year charge for owning a gun. As a convicted child molester, he was not allowed to own a gun, which the FBI obviously knew in advance. Perhaps this is the price that Robeson paid for blowing his cover. So they work with child molesters. Cool. Robits Robeson, an individual being outed as a deep cover FBI mole just months ago in the Michigan plot, among other in incidents, calls into question every major unindicted co-conspirator in the 1-6 case docket referred to as only an individual. See the pattern? Indeed, in the case of Robeson, the FBI and DOJ conspired to use the this exact language trick to hide the existence of secret FBI informants from the judge, defense counsel, and the public. In the end, we are left with burning questions that ought to entirely reshape the way the nation thinks about the events of 1-6. So you can see right here the makings of a false flag operation. Now the motive, I can't say for sure, obviously. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with trying to demonize anyone right of center, anyone who might resist government at all. Obviously, the whole establishment deep state hated Trump and therefore his supporters, and it shows really their just disdain for average American people. But now the feds are trying to cover up their false flag operation, since it's gotten out what they've been behind, by going after anyone they think might be involved. So just this morning, I'm recording this uh, June 25th, 2021, I know of at least three of my friends here in Hillsdale County who had the FBI show up at their place questioning them. They came all the way down here to Cornfield County. And I would assume similar things going on around the country. But Hillsdale County has a very uh, strong local GOP. Uh, we're awake about all the insanity that's gone on the past year and a half. We've resisted. We've fought against it. You know, real patriots. Real patriots. People who love liberty. 
So it makes sense why they are targeting us to try and stifle opposition, demoralize us, and ultimately um, take away someone who might oppose their agenda. So, which is, of course, what all of this entire scenario is about from the beginning of the false flag to their response to their own false flag. So one of my friends, um, who I'm actually wearing the shirt he got me, it's pretty cool, it says come and take it with the cat in the hat. Um, they showed up to his place to, to question him, he recorded it, and uh, I love his backbone, I love how he's not taking it. So, listen to this. I got 10 acres here. Good, you? Good, good. Nice. So I'm going to introduce myself again with the FBI. All right? Yep. I assume you're recording. Yeah, we're recording. That's fine. So, as I said, um, I decided to go ahead and call the sheriff for you as well. I know you were on the phone with him. Yeah, I called. That's that's fine. As I said, that's not how it works. It's not going to remove me from the car. I initially called and I was trying to be civil with you. Um, I'm you, civil. You wanted to be uh, argumentative and, and threatening. No, I'm just so, know my right. I, I get, it. and I, as I said, I'm not here to arrest you. I, so not, so I don't understand why you're here. I was explaining that. To you. So as I was explaining, mm -hmm. I know you were at the Capitol. We get okay. inform we get information. And he, you know, obviously with everything that happened at the Capitol, we get information that individual is there. They may have been involved. Unfortunately, when it comes to my desk, I have to run it through and I have to end up talking to the person. Okay. okay. I'm not here to arrest you. Yep. I could charge you right now, but I'm not with? going to. Well, you decided to go ahead and do another recording. And on that recording, you admitted you took a gun to the Capitol with you. You recall that recording, Senator Mike Shirky? I recall that recording. So on it, you admitted to taking a gun with you to the Capitol. You know it's a, a violation or a crime to take a gun into Washington, D.C. What kind of gun? I'm asking you a question. Do you understand that? I'm asking you what kind of gun I took. Do you understand that? I'm asking you what kind of gun I took. Do you understand that? I understand. Do you understand what kind of gun I took? Okay. So you were in the Capitol, and based on the Capitol riots, that they're charging with right now, it would be a felony. Sure. Again, I'm not charging you with that right now, am I? Prove it. Right. So I'm going to end this conversation. Okay. I'm going to go document this. I'll submit it to the U.S. attorneys, and they can deal with it how they want. Have a good day. You you too. Yeah, okay. I'm good. Could have went differently. Peace, peace. So you can see right there, oh, I could charge you, but I'm not going to. See, these are the tactics they use because they don't want you to exercise your rights. I mean, how screwed up is it? If you lie to the FBI, it's a crime. They can throw you in prison just like uh, Trump's guy or whatever did. But they can lie to you all they want. So they can make up these phony baloney charges. I mean, they're throwing people in prison left and right. So if they got something on someone... I would assume they would do the same. Now, that being said, you know, definitely know your rights, exercise your Fifth Amendment, get your lawyer, because they will use anything you say as a pretense to arrest you, to charge you. And, yeah, you might not get convicted, but they can make your life living hell. 
can be very expensive. The government has unlimited, unlimited resources to come after you if they don't like you. I mean, they just print money out of thin air, right? So, and speaking of making your life living hell, that's a good segue into kind of what I wanted to close up with. And, and good on Lance for standing his ground. Not, you know, they try these intimidation tactics. You know, um, a lot of people like us aren't used to run-ins with the feds. So, but you just got to know your rights, stand your ground and, and not let them uh, abuse you. So anyways, back to the living hell. This false flag, this political prosecution, if that isn't enough, wait for this. This is, might be the most disturbing part. The people who have been arrested are getting just completely abused in custody. I mean, it's it's disturbing. So Gateway Pundit has reported that D.C. correctional officers brutally beat January 6th U.S. Capitol protester, zip tie his hands, fracture his skull, blind him in one eye. This is Ryan Samsel. He was supposedly leading the charge against Capitol Hill police on the January 6th protests. Uh, they had got pictures of him here pushing these flimsy bike racks. Reportedly injured a female police officer. Since his arrest, Samsel has been held in Washington, D.C. On March 21st, he was awakened by correctional officers, his hands zip-tied, then walked to an unoccupied cell and brutally beaten by the officers. Then Ryan Samsel lost an eye in the beating. And on Twitter, you can find his, uh, his lawyer's statement. Politico even reported, for weeks, Capitol riot defendants being held in Washington have complained that they are locked in their cells with virtually no human contact for 23 hours a day. But a startling graphic account offered publicly in court on Tuesday by one such inmate, Ronald Sandlin, went further, alleging the guards have subjected those charged in the January 6 events to violence, threats, and verbal harassment. Myself and others involved in the January 6 incident are scared for our lives, not from each other, but from correctional officers, Sandlin said during a bail hearing conducted by video before U.S. District Court Judge Dabney Friedrich. I don't understand how this is remotely acceptable, he added, saying he was being subject to mental torture. In an unusual district plea to the judge, Sandlin said another capital riot defendant, Ryan Samsel, was severely beaten by correctional officers, is now blind in one eye, has a skull fractured, and detached retina. Sandlin also described race, racial tension between minority guards and all the largely white defendants, some of whom who have been publicly accused of membership in or association with white supremacist groups. And we know that's just the media slandering and smearing. But the people they're really going after are those who have managed to get on uh, on shows and speak out about it. So, News Punch uh, reports that January 6 protesters being held in indefinite pre-trial detention in D.C. have been put into solitary confinement as punishment for appearing in Fox News shows on Sunday where Mark Levin, Julie Kelly, and Senator Ron Johnson exposed how they're being tortured, beaten, racially abused, and locked in solitary confinement. We, we just found out they are locking us down for an entire week in retaliation for that Levin special on us last night. A statement Kelly included said, No phone calls, no rec time, five-minute showers, 24 hours in our cells. They're trying to silence us for getting the truth out. And this one person wrote a letter to his mom. Okay, mom, could use a little good news today. We just found out they're locking us down for an entire week in retaliation 
for that Levin special on us last. I mean, this is happening right here in the United States. You know, a lot of people, oh, the land of the free, it could never happen here. Look at it. It is. This is what they do to people they feel are a threat to their power. I've got one more, and who knows how many people are being treated like this. These are just a few stories. I'm sure there's more out there, but I'm sure there's many more not reported, which is unfortunate. Uh, I heard a story where someone said they were going to threaten to rape his wife. I mean, just, I mean, it's just, it's disgusting. It's, you know, you'd think, oh, Nazi Germany, Soviet Russia, East Germany, you know. No, it's it's right here in D.C., you know. (laughs) This one's from USSA News. So, yeah, this one's less just purely violent, but really exposes the agenda that's being pushed and how they are just trying to use the PSYOP to just beat people into submission. Patriot Grandma from Indiana, Anna Morgan Lloyd, 49, received the first criminal sentence stemming from the January 6th pro-election integrity protests at the Capitol in D.C., where police allowed protesters into the building. To ease her sentencing, Morgan Lloyd wrote a little movie report on the Holocaust drama Schindler's List and the anti-racism film Just Mercy, and submitted it to the presiding judge on her lawyer's instructions. Welcome to the progressive criminal justice system in modern America. So her lawyer instructed her to watch those movies and and write an assignment on what she learned and submit it to a letter to the judge. The grandmother wrote, I've learned that even though we live in a wonderful country, things still need to improve. People of all colors should feel as safe as I do to walk down the street. And they've got a picture of her protesting at the Capitol. It's just... You know, a flag sweatshirt, MAGA hat, smiling, you know, tourist, tourist stuff like you'd expect. <laughs> wow. Just creepy. But that's what's going on. Who knows what other stories that'll be similar we'll find. This is Soviet KGB East Germany type of stuff. And honestly, it would be hard to believe, but if you've seen the documentary Ghosts of Abu Grad, This is a lot like the type of torture, humiliation tactics, psychological warfare they use in those type of full lockdown prisons just to break people, to break the spirit. Then you can control someone. And just like this poor grandma, you know, get them to do whatever, whatever to, to get out of that situation, right? And since the people, like in that documentary, are alleged terrorists, even though most of them have no evidence, no proof against them, I guess they're using the same logic, only now with domestic terrorists. See? That's what that term of art, domestic terrorist, is doing. It's giving a license to do whatever it takes to American citizens. This makes it abundantly clear. The FBI is there pretty much to act as an internal terror threat to create more control for government, They're an entrapment organization, as you can see. Um, We could spend hours and hours on every example. I mean, did they do any of this stuff to Black Lives Matter when they were destroying businesses, looting, rioting, all this violence? No, they didn't even go after them. Of course not. They don't care if you get hurt, if your business gets hurt, if your property gets destroyed. They only care if you're a threat to government That's all they care about, and it's abundantly clear there's no denying it at this point. 
And that's why this whole people, oh, it's only a few bad apples. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. How could they carry it out with just a few bad apples? Most people are just going to follow orders. That's how it works. And that, I mean, the COVID thing showing us the same thing. They get brainwashed once they get into these agencies. Maybe they were in it for a good reason at one point, but they buy into this hype. They're doing it for the greater good. And that is the problem. When the ends justify the means, there simply is no place you can't go. Doesn't matter how disturbing, how dark it is. That's why this type of logic, it, it doesn't work. It's immoral. And it leads to the worst atrocities imaginable. We need to get rid of the FBI. I mean, totally get rid of it. We don't need it. All these three-letter agencies, CIA, what are they doing? They're terrorizing us. I mean, if you listen to that Putin interview... He points out a lot of a lot of things, you know. He says, you guys claim you're so free in America. Look what you do to people who are at your Capitol, at your Congress, to protest. You know, they weren't there to steal laptops or whatever. Look what happens. They're getting tortured. They're, they're showing up to people's home, trying to kind of finesse their way into getting someone to incriminate themselves. I mean, it's, it's dark. That's the U.S. government. That's the Fed's. Nothing about this is conducive to a free society. People have to wake up to the cold, hard fact. Quit defending them. Things are just going to keep worse until people stop doing that. That's why I appreciate you guys who support this show financially or share it with your friends or at least, you know, listen to what I have to say. Hear the other side. Hear what the media, for the most part, leaves out. I'm glad Tucker's getting that out there. And I'm running way over, so I'm not going to get into it. But you should hear what CNN and them are saying. Oh, man. But everything going on, how they're treating people who who like this country. You know, they wave their flag. They, they pay taxes, whatever. They do most of what the government wants, just not everything. This should piss you off. The disdain they have for you. The agenda they're pushing. The virtual prison they're throwing us in. The vaxes they're pushing. It's crazy. There's no level they won't stoop to. That should be abundantly clear. So that's just the reality we're faced with. So that's the show. Sorry, I know I went way over. Uh, I wanted to get enough in to kind of give a complete picture. I mean, maybe I can do more on this later if that interests you. But hopefully I'll get in another show this week. We'll see. If not, we'll talk to you next week. But hey, have a good week. Either way, we'll talk soon. Take care, and please exercise your Fifth Amendment right. <laughs>